This week, Jerome Powell replaces Janet Yellen as Federal Reserve Chair. Markets will be watching closely to see how Mr Powell can continue the high-wire balancing act of weaning the US off extraordinary monetary stimulus without sparking a massive downturn or market crash. One of the key indicators of that baton change, and a lot more, is the market for US bonds, where yields have been steadily climbing since September. Even if you don't own 10-year Treasury bills, your investments will largely be affected by them. That's because these securities are known as the risk-free interest rate. That is an investment benchmark for near-guaranteed investment returns by which all other assets are measured. So, what's going on? I'm Alex Newman, and for this edition of IC Questions, I'm joined by the Investors Chronicles economist, Chris Dillo, and the nearest thing we have to a quantitative specialist, James Norrington, to talk about US bonds. So Chris, if I can start with you, what's sparking the sell-off in bonds at the moment and what is it all pointing to? Well, there's a number of factors behind it. One significant thing here is that bond yields are rising at the same time as the dollar has fallen. Now, that seems to rule out one obvious reason why bond yields might rise which is expectations of faster growth. If bond yields were selling off because of brighter economic outlook, you'd expect the dollar to rise. That hasn't happened. The thing that is consistent with bond yields rising and the dollar falling is an aversion to US assets, uh, or or to US safe assets, at least, generally. And that there have been rumours that um, China is about to lessen its holdings of U.S. treasuries. And it's rumours like that that are consistent with the co-movement in the dollar and bond. Should we put much truck in these these rumours of Chinese selling then, Chris, do you think? Personally, I don't think so. There are two very big reasons why China, and in fact lots of other um, overseas economies, would want to keep investing in U.S. treasuries. One of them is that they're still generating large current account surpluses. That means that they need to invest money overseas. And U.S. Treasuries are one of the very few liquid safe assets that's around. The safe asset shortage that has driven bond yields down is still very much with us. And there's another motive for China to hold on to U.S. Treasuries, and that's political. If China has a large holding of U.S. Treasuries and it's got over a trillion dollars of them, then that gives it some leverage over the U.S. government. For example, if Donald Trump were to seriously impose trade sanctions on China, then China could rethink its holdings of U.S. Treasuries. You know, so in, in, in that sense, China's holdings of U.S. Treasuries give it some political power that's well worth having. Those two factors make me think that China isn't going to dump treasuries very quickly. I always find this quite a confusing point as well, that if they were to dump treasuries, they'd still be holding dollars, presumably. And, you know, if the dollar is forecast to weaken this year, that wouldn't be a a great option either. In theory, they could dump US treasuries and switch it into into Eurozone bonds. So so they they could easily dump both. But it is the case that somebody's Got, got, got to buy if China is selling. The, the question is, at what price does that buy-in come in? James, if, if I can turn to you, I mean, we've this morning, and, and we're recording this on a Friday, the, uh, uh, the 10-year yields uh, moved up to 2.8%. Some people are nervous that you get to 3%. That's a, a psychological level. I mean, 
Is there some concern for equity investors in the speed of the apparent sell-off in in bonds? Well, uh, you know, equity markets, uh, particularly the US equity market, uh, there's a lot of talk that some of them are in bubble territory, um, and anything that could be the touch paper for a bit of panic um, is obviously of of concern. I mean, at a psychological level, I mean, that seems quite an arbitrary point. um, The three percent. There are a number of different factors at play that, that could affect. Uh, how equity markets uh, uh, play out in, in in the first half of this year, but really a, a key point is is you know the, is, as Chris alluded to, it's the risk free rate of return is is U.S. bond yields. Now historically, the equity risk premium, the premium that you've had over investing in in equities over bonds in the United States over bonds, ten year bonds uh, has been about four point three percent, and the equity premium over shorter term bills has been five point five. Um, and, and and if that that premium sort of uh, collapses, then then actually then then you know you're less willing to pay more for sh- for stocks. So so therefore the stock prices could fall. What is interesting is is you know we have a positive correlation between bond prices, um, which move inversely with yields and and equity prices. Um, so you could have everything selling off at once, which would cause mayhem for portfolios. Is this a an effect which could have an effect on UK indices as well? Uh, well, it's it's interesting. Again, uh, it's, the, the UK is not, not anywhere near as overvalued or as, as expensive, I should say, as, as the US. Um, that's partly because our biggest companies that have um, because their market cap weighted indices have, have tended to be in in sectors that have done badly over the last couple of years, such as you know like Shell in the, the oil industry mm. or HSBC in in banks. So the the UK is slightly less overvalued. But then the, the UK obviously got a bit of a, a lift from, from dollar earners after Brexit and with the pound getting stronger. So, so there's a lot of factors that come into play. Chris, just to turn back to you, I mean, should we attach any uh, a psychological meaning or otherwise to uh, a 3% level for uh, a 10-year yields? No, there's, n- there's nothing magical about 3%. What I would stress is that there are still good long-term reasons for yields to stay low, and certainly very low relative to what they have been in the past. So factors like, you know, the global savings glut, the shortage of safe assets, secular stagnation, those factors haven't disappeared and they're not going to disappear overnight. Chris, you also wrote this week about inflation and what seems to be a bit of a disconnect between record low unemployment numbers in the US and UK and what's happening with inflation. Can you talk a little bit about that and uh, some of your thinking around that and how that links into bond prices and and the task for Jerome Powell? Yeah, well, well, this is potentially very, very good news for bond investors and, and in fact, equity investors. We used to think that when unemployment fell to very low levels, and it's it's at a 17-year low in the US, that that would lead to higher inflation. Now, that has not happened in the last few months. In fact, quite the opposite. We've seen wage inflation flat since mid-2016, and we've seen core CPI inflation now actually lower than it was a year ago. And this has been a real puzzle for the Fed, and and in fact for the Bank of England, because a similar thing is happening here. Why is it that what looks like near full capacity has not led to higher inflation. Now, we've got lots of possible theories here. One is that the labour market has become more atomised, workers lack bargaining power, and then so so they just can't convert low unemployment into wage gain. Mm-hmm. But there's another possibility, which I find very, very interesting, and that is that the concept of full capacity is actually meaningless. 
in the piece I, I wrote the other day, I cited some research on a U.S. steel mill, which found that it had managed to double production over a 12-year period without any change in capacity. Because every time bumped up against what looked like full capacity, it found ways of tweaking production to squeeze out a little more output. And this could apply to companies generally. It could be that the effect of what looks like full capacity is not to lead companies to raise prices, but to lead them to look at ways of increasing productivity. And if that's the case, then the threat of inflation is rather lower than, than people think. And that's tremendously good news for bonds. It's also good news for equity investors, because it means that the Fed won't have to raise interest rates very much. It probably will do so this year in an attempt to normalise rates. But it looks as if there's no urgent need to raise rates very much, simply because inflation looks so low. James? One interesting thing just in terms of, of productivity is, is with um, the rising cost of debt and, and, uh, and, and rising rates actually increases their cost of capital, which obviously uh, makes it more difficult to make the capital expenditures to improve productivity. So that's, uh, that's another angle to it as well. That's very true. As long as people expect economic growth to continue, though, that could be offset by stronger growth expectations leading to a lower risk premium over bond yields so that companies' cost of borrowing stays reasonably low. I'd add to that. I think that, that sort of so historically a lot of the global equity premium did come from the US um, and actually we're seeing that probably more of the, the productivity growth uh, is, is coming in emerging markets. So for asset allocators looking to get a hold of an equity premium, possibly the US will have a slightly lesser weighting in the next century than it has in, in this, this century in, in terms of, of a balanced portfolios as well. Interesting stuff. So a bond sell-off, but it may not be uh, terrible economic news, even if it could be a touch paper for um, some sell-offs in toppy markets. Okay, that's about all we have time for. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, James, for this edition of IC Questions. For more audio from the Investors Chronicle, go to our website, iTunes, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 